You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. And joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, we're doing pretty good, Mike, considering... Uh... It's pretty darn cold up here right now. It's uh, about minus eight, I believe. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't feel sorry for us or anything. But <laughs> it's not no, that cold. I can tell you that. <laughs> just doing the same old thing and uh, watching a few yeah. series here and there, going for a walk every day, and uh, that's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Well, we get we and then we we have this. We talk about we talk we have this to talk about every week. Today we're joined by another popular Leaf alumni, somebody that you know very well. You've done a lot of work with for the alumni and for this organization, and also played against Mr. Shane Corson. We're referring to. Yeah, Shane's a good guy, and I uh, uh, I went on a few trips with him, like to Montreal and Ottawa and I think Florida one time, and uh, with some of the corporate partners and. Uh, I don't know if you can get a more fun guy to hang out with with Shane until a certain point, and then I got to leave. It's time to get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw him on a few of the excursions over the years at at some of the boondoggos, and he's very popular because he tells the stories. (laughs) And he's not sure to scare a pint with the customers and the clients also. So they love him. They they certainly do. uh, But but he is a great guy, a, a lot of fun to be around. Well, on a more serious note, the hockey world lost one of the all-time greats, and in Toronto's case, its longest-serving captain, who we both had the pleasure of spending some time with. I'm, of course, referring to Mr. George Armstrong. Yeah, George was a a, a great man, really. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any other word you could use, because he was humble. He, he was uh, very generous with his time. Uh, he didn't necessarily love to speak, but... When he did, it was, you know, it was meaningful and, and a lot of times hilarious at the same time. <laughs> but my, my biggest uh, remembrance of, of Chief was when him and Johnny Bauer came to visit me in PEI after the Marley's draft to me in, I believe it was 76, I think it was. And they, they came down to the PEI to try to talk me into go play for the Marley's as opposed to going to Sherbrooke who drafted me in the Quebec League. And, uh, you know, that was something that I, I just will never forget forever. Uh, Johnny Bauer and George Armstrong, like, I'm like, okay, you're, you're 17 years old and these guys are coming and walking into your house. It's like an unbelievable thing. That's all. I mean, that's awesome. And that, that would spin ahead, but I didn't do it obviously a good enough job to end up going to Sherbrooke. So well, we, got, we got in fact did the full marks on that one for trying, but they didn't close the job. They they did a good job. I just decided that I would rather go to a smaller place. Uh, yeah. Plus, I was the first pick by Sherbrooke in the first round, fourth overall, and I was the third or fourth pick by the Marlins. So, you know, you look at when you look at everything. Uh, I think it just came down to playing in a smaller community. And also being picked higher, which likely gives you more of a better chance of staying there and playing a lot. 
Absolutely. I mean, well, my, I have, I, I've, he visited the room four times and a couple of my memories that stand out, there's numerous, but a couple was the first time he showed up, he came to the door and he came with his family. Deb opened the door and he, he greeted George, his two boys, Brian and Fred, a couple of the grandchildren were with him. And he'd alerted to us that he wasn't going to be very much company or good company because he didn't like to speak. And we had said, well, that's not the idea of this. You just come with your family, enjoy the room, and you guys just take it all in as best you can. Well, he walked through the threshold of the front door and didn't stop talking for two and a half hours, telling me everything from all the inventions that Bobby Naylor invented to George, uh, to, to George Imlach. He talked about uh, Turk Broda. He talked about all these inventions, all the players and some of the tricks he played on guys. And he just didn't stop. And we finally almost had to throw him out to go home because it was getting late. And the second memory is a little more recent was in with when we held a, we held a number of reunions for the Marlies and two in particular, the 73 and 75 Memorial Cup championship teams in 73, most of the teams showed up at our place and George came. So I was moderating a talk at the front where the players are coming up and speaking and saying their piece and guys like Mike Palmatier, he doesn't speak in public. Like he's very shy and when he didn't say anything and a couple other guys didn't say anything. So I got to the end and there was George sitting there and I thought, well, out of courtesy, I better say something to him. And I asked, would the coach like to come up and speak, figuring he would say no. He gets up, marches right to the front, and he gave a, about a couple of minutes speech to all the guys. And the thing that stuck out, Rick, is that the room just went deadly silent. And these players, and here they're all grown men now in their 40s, 50s, and 50s, and 60s. And these guys were hanging on every word. And the admiration and respect they had for this man was just oozing out of the room. And it was just an unbelievable experience to look at these guys' faces, looking at him. And for those out there, our viewers, I actually had that recorded. I wasn't going to play it. I was going to keep it as a private piece. And then what happened with George this week, we decided, Deb and I, we've put it out on, it's out on Facebook and Twitter. So if you go to the Ultimate Defense site, you can actually see that speech. And I know I sent it to Bruce Boudreau and Mike Pomptier, both overcome with emotions looking at that speech. And I sent it to a couple of other players, and they've thanked me endlessly for sending it. Well, George, you know, I think in that particular instance, he was, well, first of all, he was probably tickled pink that you invited him down there to see everything and, you know, just started telling stories. And then, of course, standing up in front of guys that he coached, I think he felt a little bit probably more comfortable in a small little setting uh -huh. like that. But George wasn't one to stand up and give big speeches in front of crowds. I can assure you of that. And, uh, uh, but, if you got him alone or with a few people, well, yeah, he could he could tell you some real good funny stories. <laughs> he was a character, that's for oh, sure. Yeah. Well, he's going to be he's going to be dearly missed, and you know the Leafs are playing a great tribute to him. I love that crest they put on the sort of night they have, and I think that's just phenomenal. And speaking of our guys, they we're a couple hours away from them playing the first of two against Edmonton this week. The team sits six and two going into tonight. There's been some. Stretches of great execution. The first period during that in Calgary is probably the best they've played this year to date. There's still those little stumbling moments they have throughout the game. But as that old crazy cliche goes, they're bending, but they're not breaking. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're six and two so far. After, after eight games, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty darn good. Um, yes. They may have, I, you know, I, I know it's early and there's, whatever, 48 games left to go, whatever it is. Yeah. But 
I think these two games are very, very important for them to continue to, to, to roll like they are. You don't want to go into Edmonton and, and lose two games or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're six and four and you got to get back on the winning track. So I, I think these are pretty important games. And I, I, you know, hopefully they don't go in there taking them lightly because they beat them twice already, or no, once already. Once, uh, one and one. And one and one. And hopefully they don't take them too lightly because these are important games. Uh, we always talked about that, you know, even if you win the first 10 of the year, those are just as important as the last 10 in the regular mm-hmm. season. So, because well, they, and, they and all you, count for two points. And you see everybody, and right to your point, sorry to catch up, is the, is the fact that nobody wants these to go into extra time for that extra point. That's how tight everybody thinks it's going to be down the stretch. Well, and that, that's the thing. Uh, you know, when now, you know, we wanted that 17 division, but now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. Okay, what about when Calgary and Edmonton are playing and whoever and whoever, there's always those three-point games. And you're right, you don't want a whole lot of those going on. No, no. Well, anyway, we'll be watching obviously with interest and we shouldn't be complaining. Only in Toronto could a team be six and two after eight games and still and still have some doubts about the team. So, you know, things are rated going along as normal. So there we are. Well, I think Speaking the one which, thing I, the one thing, sorry, Mike, that I, that I, no, go. I liked was this, the, the changes they made in, in the last game, bringing two or three, four, I know they have some injuries, but they took a couple of guys out, brought in, uh, it was it Anderson and uh, or Brooks and um, Boyd. 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 And, Boyd, and they both scored, and uh, you know they certainly didn't look out of place. So maybe that's where this is all going to come together is the depth that they have. Well, that's the thing I was going to point out is I mean the depth is certainly going to be challenged as we go throughout all this season and then back to back. Well, not back to back, but playing basically every other night. Uh, and one thing no one can ever accuse Cal Dubas of is not being prepared for situations like this in his tenure so far as, as, as uh, running the Maple Leafs. So he, they're getting guys in the game so far, and it seems to be paying out, and we'll see how it all goes. So um, just a couple of little our fun fact part of the show here, just a couple of little things. And I, I know I got you in this one a couple of weeks ago. But on this day in 1932, Toronto again scored three goals in overtime to win a game. And I know everybody's going to ask the question is when did that all stop? Because they played a 10 minute overtime and they could score as many times as they wanted. 1942, by the way, is when they stopped that. It was actually to do with uh, a lot of the war stuff and, and uh, time limitations. So that's when they cut that out and they stopped it at, after that year. So that, but there they had three goals and they won that game that night and they beat the Rangers six, three. Also on this day, for Leafs that they can remember back in that time or people remember 1934. Also, we had uh, Eddie Shore returned after 16 game suspension for his violent hit on Ace Bailey that destroyed his career and ruined his career and almost killed him. And he came back after 16 game suspension. But the interesting part about that, it was the lar- 15,000 people, largest crowd to see a game that year in Boston. So they loved the guy, but uh, he certainly wasn't well received in Toronto. And Really, if you look at the way they play today, there's not much change in that rivalry. It hasn't lost any of its sort of luster. And I'll leave this last one with you that uh, seems to be very prevalent in a lot of other sports. And let's talk about this. This day in 1946, the NHL president, Dutton, uh, he actually suspended Babe Pratt 
in the Maple Leafs for betting on hockey games. And he never bet on his own team, he said, but he was suspended for betting on games. And it goes way back and it's never going to change. And now it's part of the game. And I heard somebody talking about the other day, this could be one of the issues that going forward is uh, it's getting more and more. But anyway, I leave that with you. So wow, I didn't know on that. all of that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And on, yeah, that's true. Well, there's, you know, I mean, Pete Rose and look what the NFL guys, Alex Karras and these guys from going way back. And yes, this was an issue at the time. And, uh, you know, he bet on the games, but he says he never bet on his own team. So anyway, that's, uh, that's it. And I think we should now probably turn it over to our guests. So let's go and listen to see what Shane has to say. Okay, Squid, our guest today enjoyed 19 years in National Hockey League after a distinguished junior career, represented Canada at the World Juniors, Pros, Olympics, and one of those guys teams just hated to play against. You know that <laughs> firsthand. And the guy I'm referring to is a good friend of ours, Shane Corson. Shane, how are we doing? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Good to have you. Now, listen, uh, first off, a couple of things we want to talk about on a, a serious note right off the bat is, uh, first off, the hockey world. Rick and I talk about the beginning of the show is with the loss of uh, George Armstrong. I'm sure you've had some doings with him over the years working with the Maple Leafs and just if you'd like to say something. Yeah, well, it's just, it's a sad, it was a sad day when we found out that uh, Mr. Armstrong had passed away. He's just, uh, most importantly, just a great person, as Ricky and you know, he's just a super person, but he was a great leader on and off the ice. And I was just an honor to be able to, to get to know him a bit and to be able to talk to him and, and get some advice from him over, t- over the times that I met him. So just an icon in the city of Toronto and the Toronto Maple Leaf organization. Uh, just like I said, it's just an honor for me to be able to have the opportunity to meet him and to, to be around him a little bit. He was just a, a class human being, uh, another John Belleville like in Montreal. So two guys that were amazing and great leaders. Fantastic. Yeah, that's well said, Shane. And uh, that, that seems to be the common theme when you hear anybody talk about uh, George these days. And just on another note, I mean, today is a very special day for a lot of people, and it's a, it's a subject that uh, people we have to really talk more about, and it's uh, Bell's Let's Talk Day. Yeah. Now, you know you've had some issues, and it's a subject that's very close to you, and we'd just like to turn the floor over to you and let you say a few words. Yeah, well, it is very near and dear to my heart. I've suffered with anxiety and panic attacks since uh, from being a young kid, and I didn't really actually deal with it in the proper ways. I just tried to deal with it by drinking and taking medication on my own and medicating myself. And uh, finally, when I got done playing my career, I actually left the Maple Leafs in the playoffs uh, during the one year in the playoffs. And I knew that I needed to get the help that I needed or I wouldn't be around right now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you. So it's near and dear to my heart. I mean, lots of people suffer with it. Uh, You know, everybody, it doesn't... uh, it doesn't uh it touches everybody's lives i mean i know so many people that it's touched and it doesn't matter if you're young or you're older or you're a boy or a girl or anything it's uh it's it's pretty uh tough thing to deal with i mean i know rick uh, went through it too on his own uh he didn't have it diagnosed and he didn't even tell anybody about it really until he was done playing his career quite after his career so uh for me it's just a these types of podcasts and interviews and articles are ways for me to give back and to try to tell my story so that if I can help one person it's well worth it and that's why I do these things and I talk about my my situation because it can touch anybody it doesn't matter who you are uh you could look good from the outside but there's a lot of stuff going on on the inside so I try to use these types of platforms and that's why I appreciate you guys giving me this to to tell my story and if I can help help somebody then it's it's well worth it for me yeah I couldn't agree with you more Shane it's uh you know, and I think the times now that we're in, it was a little bit different in the 80s, obviously, that, I mean, yeah. you were considered weak and, and whatever if you if you did that. But today it's different. And, and people, there is people 
there for people to reach out to and get help. And uh, so it's all about kind of not being afraid to admit that you have, like I said, you know, it's, it's like having a, a cancer. It's no different. Yep. It's, a, it's an illness no. uh, that you can't yep. really deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So you get treated for cancer, but you're not going to get treated for mental illness uh, because you, you're, you're afraid that people are going to think you're weak. I think that uh, pretty much says it all about people should not be afraid to talk about it. A hundred percent. I mean, you said it, it's, it's not a weakness, it's an illness. And that's one of the sayings I've always stuck to. And it's, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be down. It's okay to have different emotions, but you just have to be able to deal with them and find the tools that you can use to deal with those, those uh, issues. But you nailed it, Ricky, the biggest and most important thing is to first admit that you need help and then to go get the proper help. And everybody's help is different. It, it's, it just depends on the person who you feel comfortable with and what you need to get better. And uh, you said it. It's uh, all about reaching out to somebody. And, there, and that's a nice thing. Things have changed since you came into the league. You were in the league uh, before me. And uh, I, you know, I remember watching you play and loved the Leafs and loved watching you play. And, and then it changed a bit more when I got into it. But it was still, you were considered, you know, you're supposed to be this big, tough uh, hockey player. And you were a little bit afraid. And not only that, Ricky, you know as well as I do, we were afraid to say anything about any injuries even, not just uh, mental illness or injuries, because you didn't want to lose your job back then. Uh, they would just send you to the miners and say, well, we'll get the next guy in line. So it was a little tougher, but uh, nowadays for sure, there's, there's places that you can turn to. And uh, just by today, you see all the, all the different messaging going out there on social media and stuff that there is a lot more areas to turn to and the support. That's another huge thing when you suffer with this. And I was lucky to have, you know, my mom and my, my, my girl, my, my sisters and my, my own family, my, my wife and my kids and all that. And I had the leaf organization and the doctors that went with that in the NHLPA, um, uh, the doc there, uh, he was just amazing with me. So I had a lot of support and that's very important when you're dealing with this stuff too, as yeah. you know. Well, I think that uh, uh, the thing is, if I can throw my couple of cents in is the yeah. fact that uh, people have to realize that just because somebody's, a, you guys have touched on just because somebody's a professional athlete and playing at an elite level of sport doesn't mean they can't have everyday problems that yeah. we all experience every day. And I think this is the message by guys like you and Ricky speaking up. This is really becoming evident and people are starting to really realize this. I know that Deb and I hosted a couple of years ago with Mike Babcock and Michael Landsberg mm -hmm. a six week to help him start his charity foundation for anxiety. Yep. And it's really funny, Mike, I've known for a number of years. And when we were planning the event to show everybody what this, what you, the, the state that this can get to, he came over to our house for a meeting. You guys, you know our place. So he came over. It took him, and there's only me and Debbie there. It yep. took him two weeks, two weeks to get the strength to leave his house to drive to our place with his issue. And this is yep. a guy who's on TV loud and screaming and boisterous, and he just looks like he's the most outspoken guy yeah. in the world. Yeah. And he took that long to get the strength to leave his house. And I know when Mike Babcock came and started speaking in front of the room, we had a lot of guys from Bay Street there, he actually couldn't get through speaking the impact it had on his family and some of his friends. And it really hit home. And I think that this is a really good forum. And I'm glad that, you know, you guys are stepping up and listen, anything we can do always to help. Yeah, I appreciate it. And it's funny you tell that story. I, I didn't leave my house for two weeks one time and I have ulcerative colitis too. So what we did, we decided uh, with the organization, the leaf organization and myself that we were going to say I was having a colitis flare up, but it was actually, I couldn't leave my house for two weeks and, 
I mean, it could get to a dark place. I was in a very dark place uh, at the at the end of it, and that's why I knew that I had to leave uh, leave the Leafs and leave the game I love playing. That was the most important thing. One of the most important things in my life was playing hockey and being a part of a hockey team. But I knew that if I didn't do that, that I wasn't going to be like I said, I wouldn't be around right now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast and and doing the things that I'm doing now. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, a very tough, difficult thing to talk about. But I think it's important that we talk about it as much as possible. And it, it's 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 probably the most difficult thing I've ever been through, but luckily I had the support and the people I could turn to to get the help. Rick, final comment. Yeah, no, I uh, just, I totally agree. I mean, uh, there is help out there for everybody. If you need it, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, I played 13 years in the best hockey league in the world. And then it, and I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed with it. They missed it. And then 15 years later, after I started my career, I get into coaching and then it just hit me. And, and it yeah. can be crippling. There's no, there's no question. Well, go ahead, Shane. I love that point that Ricky said, but, and you got to remember that you're not alone. There's so many people when I came out with my story, there were so many people that reached out to me and people that I had no idea was going, were going through the same thing I was going through and people can hide it really well, but uh, there's so much good messaging being sent today and it's like that's another one like not be afraid to reach out but you're not alone either there's a lot of people there and, and, and you're not going to be you're going to be supported there's places that you can turn for for the help so don't think you're alone because you're not because when the darkest days I always felt like I was on my own I couldn't do it. I had to do this on my own but no you can't do it on your own you need the help and you're not alone that's so important. Well, Clint Malarchuk was on a couple of weeks ago with us and he talked about it and he talked about the site and, and he has people that can contact him. Yeah. And he said to our audience that you'd be amazed at the players that Ray Rick that reached out to mm -hmm. him that wanted some help and wanted some direction that people would be just absolutely flabbergasted who, who need help and who are looking so, for help. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I was shocked that like uh, there's professional ball players who reached out to me. Um, I can't, I don't want to say names because it's well, never given me the, the, the right to say it, but I mean, he, he was a, one of the best and he reached out to me. I talked to him for two years over the phone, never met him in person, but I talked to him when he was having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I mean, Kenny Reed, who we talked, we've done a bunch of these things for you, like another guy you see on TV, you'd never imagine he's outspoken, funny, loves being on TV in front of the camera. And he, he, he suffers with anxiety and panic attacks. So yeah, it can affect anybody. And it's not always, you don't judge a book by its cover. Always. You got to see what's inside sometimes. Well, the best part about this is we talk about it. It is now not a hidden and sort of put away in yep. the back back closet for people. Now it's out and people talk about it. And I think the more we talk about it, more can be accomplished. And I think moving forward, and I think this is a really good thing. And I love what Bell's doing and that the fact that people are reaching out and trying to help people. So I think that's fantastic. So uh, all the best. And we uh, you know, certainly want to you know, journey along with you and we'll help any way we can, as we say, going forward. Um, now on a lighter note, we'd like to get into some of the, what got us here today. And <laughs> I do know that I, I, I do know that I ran into you a number of times on my excursion, my fall of the Leafs in the 2018-19 season. I can tell you this, Shane, that as ambassador for the Maple Leafs, you are absolutely one of the best. I can tell you, I've run into him in the box or out somewhere with the fans, the people are going on these trips. The smiles on these people's faces that you were engaged with, and there's Rick, he's dying to tell the story. I know he is. You are, the, anybody gets a chance to go on a trip with this guy, don't turn it down. And his <laughs> winger, by the way, is just as funny, Darcy Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I mean, 
I, I love doing the alumni trips. I love getting engaged with the, the fans. And like I said, I like them to get the opportunity to meet us as just people. That's what we are. We're just people that we're lucky to play a sport. We love to play. And, and uh, I really, I really enjoy it. And I, I, I genuinely enjoy it. I mean, so does Ricky. And like Ricky, I've seen some of Ricky's posts, how he says he's missing, you know, and the other part, the other side of it, not just the fans, like the fans are the most important thing to all of us alumni guys. And we realize that and you, you realize it even more after you're done playing, but um yeah, it was just incredible. But for me, it's also getting to hang out with some of the ex-players and some of the players that I love watching growing up and, 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 and playing against. And uh, for me, I, I miss that side of it. Uh, I've had a lot of fun with, with the guys. Got to go to know a lot of guys a lot better than I did uh, before I, I started doing the alumni stuff. And, you know, Rick being one, I'm not just saying if he's on, on the podcast and it's his podcast with you, but uh, I looked up to Ricky always as a player and as a person. I met him a long time ago when I was uh, – just a 17 year old kid. I met him out East at a golf tournament and I'll never forget that. And he was always super nice to me right from day one. So I love getting to hang out with him. I got to know Ally Frady who I never played with, but wow. became a, has become a really close friend of mine. So being in with the fans, I love it. I mean, we appreciate it. They did so much for us, gave us the energy and were there for us and, and gave us the, the ability to play a game. We love to, to play because if it weren't for the fans, we, we wouldn't get paid and be able to do what we did and, and, and things like that. So for us to be able to get back to the fans and tell some stories and, have some fun, I guess. Hey, Ricky, maybe not. You you have a you have a I have a maybe a little extra fun, but whatever. It's uh, it's enjoyable for me. I enjoy having it, and I well, love being with the guys. As I said to Mike, I said that we've been together a number of times on the road with uh, whether it be the corporate partners or the alumni going to play games and stuff like that. And uh, I hang in there for a little while, but at some point I have to leave. <laughs> and, and I find it very ironic. You know, you talked about Ali Afraidy, and Al's a great guy and a good friend of mine. And it, it, every time the Molson guys go on road trips, it's always you and Al that go with those guys. I, I, I'm shocked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Neither are the Molson guys or yeah. the fans. Oh, I know, I know they're not. <laughs> well, let's let's it's go. Been well documented. I like to have fun, guys. It's been well documented. I like to have a good well, time. Well, it's okay. You know, <laughs> we all do. That's a good thing. We all yep, like to exactly. have fun. And now I, exactly. I have just as much fun hanging out with you guys, even though I don't drink. And I'm yep. watching, you know, other guys having a few and so on, but it doesn't bother me. And I get involved nope. in, in the laughs and the fun and, and the good times that exactly. we have together. And the best part about it is, is that a lot of us never played with each other, but yet you yep. get us all together and we're all pretty much the same. Like we just love to have fun and go on the ice yep. and play and, and entertain the fans and, or if you're on a trip with with people, you like I always go out with them after the game, and so a lot of times they're shocked to realize that I don't drink when they go to order and everything. But but, but God, I have a lot of fun with them. So anyway, oh it, yeah, they uh, they it is it's it's amazing, Ricky. Not something that I have a lot of respect for you too. Is it, you you decide to do something for yourself and for your free for you and not to drink and. But you're still there. Like you said, you're still out there with us, having fun, joking, having a great time, and you hang in there with us. I know you can't, you can't keep up with me and Big Al till the, the hours <laughs> that we go to bed, but I don't blame you. Not many, not many guys can, <laughs> whether you're drinking or not. But um, 
Yeah, that's why, that's why I have so much respect for you. There are guys that, you know, they, 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 they don't drink, but they're, they don't, they, they, they come in and they put their, you know, the minimal time in and then they're gone, but you're there and you hang in there till the, till the end. And uh, that's something I respect you for. And I respect you for not drinking too. I mean, I think that takes a lot of strength and uh, you've showed a lot of strength and that's why you were, uh, you were a captain and uh, a leader and that's what you do. And we look up to you as, as, as younger players. I'm not saying I'm not much younger than you, but as younger players, we look up to people like you and, when we see you do the types of things you're doing, um, uh, it, it motivates us and, and gives us a lot of belief too, that we can do whatever we want to do too. And that's what the, that's what the name of the game is, is it's, you know, that, that's what everybody always has to remember too. And I get asked that question all the time when guys used to come and visit the room and I'd say, you know, yep. the thing that you have to understand is these guys were kids too. Yep. They all had their guys. They all scored the winning goal in the Stanley cup final on the street or on the, or in the basement or out at the schoolyard. They all, their guys they all looked up to were all the same. The only thing yep. is, and we all played the game, these yep. guys just play a lot better than all of us. So <laughs> we're watching them. So that's the difference. So speaking of which, Shane, let's get into a little bit of uh, your, your career. And you were taken eighth overall by Montreal in 1984. You're yep. a highly touted junior coming out. Yep. So what, going to Montreal, what was your mindset going there? And actually, what, going through your mind, when did you really think you could actually play the game for a living? Or did you? Yeah, I mean, um, well, first of all, to get drafted by anybody, it was, it was a, like a dream come true for me. I didn't really care where I was drafted to, which team or which organization. But, you know, luckily for me, I was drafted by one of the best uh, sports organizations, never mind hockey organizations. And the funny thing is, growing up, though, I, uh, we were Leaf fans, my dad and I and my mom and my sister. We were, we were, I was born and raised in Barry, so we loved the Leafs. Yeah. And we hated the Habs, I'm not going to lie to you. But then when I got drafted, I had met with them the night before. And funny thing is, I was ranked fifth, and they told me they were going to take me fifth, and then uh, they brought Peter Sabota out of check and they had him hidden. They drafted him and then they made a trade down there uh, at the eighth spot and took me, but it was just a dream come true. And to be able to share that with my mom and dad that day at the forum and being drafted by the Canadians in the forum was pretty special. So um, I was pretty, pretty um, excited. And uh, like, like I said, it was a dream come true, but I knew I had still a long road ahead of me. Um, uh, the Montreal Canadians are a storied organization and they had a lot of great players. So I knew I knew I had some work ahead of me. So I knew there was an opportunity there. It was just whether I wanted to put the hard work in the time. And, you know, luckily for me, um, after three years of junior hockey, I went into Montreal and after the year they won the cup, I was actually supposed to go and play in the Stanley cup finals with them after my junior season was over, but I got hurt, tore my knee and my ankle up. So I was in a cast back then they put you in a full cast. So I, I went and watched and was a part of it. So just being around the guys and learning how they, how hard they work and, and to get to know them a bit, it made it a little bit easier for me to go in the following year. And, you know, luckily and fortunate for me, they, they found a spot for me the following year. So even then though, you're not sure, you know, you could be there for a short period and be sent to the minors and then never come back from the minors. You just don't know. But I, I think I realized that I could have a long career after I was in the league for a couple of years and that kind of established myself as a the type of player I was going to be in the NHL. So, but uh, back in those days, you never were sure of anything really. It was always a battle. You're always fighting for your job and, um, that's something that I learned at a young age, but, um, I enjoyed that side of it and I enjoyed the competition side of it. Now going to Montreal, obviously they want to stand a cup They're They're, you know, stored franchise, iconic franchise, one of the best in the world. We all, we all know that. And so here you are a young guy going in there. Now we've been told on our podcast by guys who've gone through that organization that my, like the veterans will look after players and young guys after time, but in Montreal, they seem to take a little extra care for the guys. Was that, true when you went through there with some of the veterans looking after you oh man yeah i'll tell you i, I played in like i said i played in some great all my organizations i played with there we were treated with with 
respect and treated fabulously at like Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, St. Louis, Dallas. I can't say a bad thing about anything, but yes, in Montreal, the older players were just, we were, were incredible. Um, I mean, we had Larry Robinson and Bob Ganey. Uh, Bob Ganey was our captain. Larry was one of our assistant uh, captains. Uh, they were just really, really unreal to us, but it was not only those guys. It was the Bellevaux, the Lafleurs was still there when I got there in training camp. Uh, Yvonne Cornway, uh, you know, Serge Savard was our GM. Uh, I mean, we just had uh, the, the Richard brothers. I mean, they were around all the time. Like, that's one thing with the Montreal Canadiens. They had those guys in our dress room all the time. Just And we were feeding off them, and we loved hearing their stories and and, and listening to them. And, I mean, they were they were just amazing. And they didn't say it was all about work. They wanted you to go out and have fun, but come to the rink the next day and work hard. So, you know, I fit right in with them really well. <laughs> but, uh, but uh I mean, just having those types of names and people around us, they were just, they, they, they did, they took care of us. And they were just incredible. And they treated us like, like we were like been there forever. It was my first day. I remember walking in the room. Go yeah, ahead, Ricky. Fun, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I learned a lot during the world juniors, the first year they ever picked an all-star team and it was hosted. It was in Montreal. So yeah. what they did was they took everything out of the Montreal Canadians weight room and put it in stalls. So that's where we dressed. Yeah. We showered in their showers. We walked around their room, looked at the plaques uh, on the wall and everything. But more important than that, we got to watch them practice every day. And I mean, and you're right. Yeah. I mean, those guys may have gone out and had fun the night before, but boy, they worked their tails off every single yep. day of practice. Their practices were so quick paced. It was unbelievable. And yeah. I learned a lot from just from watching, you know, and, and realizing what it's going to take to get to that level. Yeah, that's that's what I, they taught me. Then they taught me how to, you know, be with the fans. Like, they were so incredible with the fans. i never seen one of those guys mm -hmm. walk away from a fan and not sign an autograph. They were incredible from Guy Lafleur all the way down to Jean Beliveau. Mr. Beliveau was incredible. Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson. I mean, Jacques Lemaire was there when I got there uh, uh, in training camp as a coach. Unbelievable coach. Ran an unbelievable practice. Uh, I could go on. Yvonne Lambert's there. Rijan Houle's there. They, they got them all. They're all there. And they're in the rink all the time just for us to go and ask advice. Why wouldn't you want to ask one of those guys for some advice about how to live and how to play hockey, right? And uh, it was just incredible. I learned so much from them. And you're right, though, Ricky, the practices, they, they ran great practices. We, we, they were a great offensive team in the 70s and the early 80s, but they worked on the defensive side of it just as hard as the offensive side. Of it. And it was like that's something that I learned from them is, if you want to win championships, you got to be able to play in your own zone too. And that's something that, you know, a lot of those guys and the guys that I played with, we sacrificed maybe a little bit of the offensive side of the game, but we, 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 we wanted to win and we wanted to sacrifice because we wanted to do the job in the defensive zone too. And that's something like guys like Jacques Lemaire and Bob Gaines and all those guys taught us from a young age. So, I mean, and Larry Robinson was just one of the most incredible people. And they had different personalities too. Like Bob was more of a straight, you know, even keel tone type of guy and never got up or down too much. And then there was Larry was more emotional up and down and we just had different types of people around us, but it all seemed to fit real well. So yeah, it was just a, it was a great organization to be a part of. And I owe a lot to them. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to play in the league and they treated me incredibly well. And uh, I'm still friends with, with all of them and uh, still can call them at any time for advice. And, you know, now that I came to Toronto after and, you know, doing all the alumni stuff, I got to, you know, some of the, know a lot of the guys that I looked up to as a kid playing uh, growing up in Barry and playing in Barry, and I got to hang out with them and get to know them a bit and feed off them too. So you learn, I learned from a lot of the best guys and, and most importantly off guys, the way they are with the people and the fans is something that I learned. 
from all those guys, the, the, the Habs and, and the Leaf guys. Well, you, you touched on it with Montreal and, and, and the city embracing you and taking you in as part one of them. Yeah. That they really do do that is it that we keep hearing all the time. So a couple of years later, you all of a sudden the dreaded words that every player hates to hear. And yeah. It's not, it, it's not, it's your round. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you've been traded. And yeah. those aren't exactly the words I want to say. And you end up in Edmonton for Vincent yeah. Danvers. Yeah. How did that all come about? And were you, would that catch you off guard or how'd that whole day unfold for you? Uh, first of all, I wanted to just go back a bit, but you know, the funniest, you know, who gave us the hardest time as rookies in Montreal was Red <laughs> Fisher was one of the writers in Montreal. <laughs> he, he would give the young guys, he wouldn't talk to the young guys for their first rookie year, but for some reason he loved Chelios and he loved, uh, he loved me. And so he was easy on me. He took it pretty easy on me my first year and he protected us a lot. Actually, he was really good to us, but yeah, that I wasn't totally, um, well, I was kind of caught off guard, but I wasn't totally caught off guard to be honest. I mean, um, you know, there are, it's well known that I got into a little bit of trouble when I played in Montreal <laughs> and I didn't want to say no to getting into a couple little bouts, like trying to stick up for my teammates or friends. But, um, Vinny's a heck of a player too. Don't get me wrong. And Vinny Van Foo's a heck of a hockey player. And, and Pat Burns, who was a big supporter of mine and a big, uh, a big, uh, uh, big part of my career. And they, they had fired Pat and I knew there was going to be changes made. Like Chelios had been traded and a bunch of the guys had been traded already, uh, over the years. So it wasn't a total complete surprise, but it was still a surprise. I mean, anytime you get traded, um, I love playing in Montreal, love the Montreal Canadians, love the city of Montreal, obviously loved it. It was a lot of fun on and off the ice, <laughs> but that's what might've got me in a little bit of trouble. But anyways, we'll, we'll leave that alone. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough day. It was a tough day for me. And, um, but I knew there was going to be another, uh, part of my life and another challenge and uh went to Edmonton and played there for three years and loved every minute playing Edmonton the people and the fans embraced me there and uh loved my style of play so it was a good time but I'm not gonna deny it was uh it was a tough day for me for sure being traded well if it makes you feel any better a buddy of mine used to work for Nestle's back in the day and he went into Montreal the organization to make a promotional deal with them yeah and one of the names they wanted to use was Chris Chelios yeah. so what's the idea we want to put them on these drinking cups and they're going to sell them <laughs> And the guy said, well, unless you're going to put his face on a beer bottle, he's not going to do you any good. <laughs> they, probably so to use, idea. they probably wanted to use both of us because we both. <laughs> we, were on the cra- we were on the crap. We were in the crap box. Chelly and I were in the crap box, but that they couldn't do anything with that. It was food. But yeah, I can see that being said with Chelly. He- ironically, I have my picture on a Molson beer can. Yeah. They came out the I one doesn't year. Doubt, with- I don't. Six of us. So it was myself, I, Daryl, Lanny, and yep. Tiger, and Johnny Bauer. And yeah. There were six of us, and that's cool. Every case had a can, one can with someone's picture on it. One of us, and uh, yeah, I have one in the basement actually. Uh, I think I actually drank a few of your cans. <laughs> I think I drank a few of your cans. I think I drank a few cases of your cans, buddy. <laughs> Like drink, well, drinking now, a beer, hey, nothing better. Drinking a beer and look at one of your idols, right? I love it. That's actually perfect. That's now perfect. in Edmonton. Now in Edmonton, Shane, you're there, and George Burnett makes you captain. Yeah. Now, okay. Yep. Everybody's had their issues being captains and all that kind of stuff. Now you, though, following a legacy of captains, particularly one guy, I, his name kind of slips my mind right now. I think he wore number ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. So there's all that trailing you, or you're trailing yep. that trailing you. Yeah. Like, how did that, like, did that pressure all just kind of get to you? 
you know what to be honest uh it wasn't really really pressure I, I honestly i didn't feel any pressure on it. like i think it was um i'm trying to remember if it was a team that picked it or it was slats or how it worked I, it might have been the team they voted but uh, there's always there's always pressure. Ricky knows that he was a, a captain of one of the greatest sports organizations, hockey organizations ever. Obviously, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there's obviously you're, you're, there's a lot of pride. You take honor in it, and and there obviously is somewhat pressure. But it wasn't really the pressure thing. I just think that George and my personality didn't really hit it off uh, that well. Putting it lightly, I mean, he ended up drafting my son. Uh, he actually called me before. He said, "Is it okay if I draft your son in Belleville?" And I said, "Sure." It's water under the bridge. Our our issue uh, was our issue and we dealt with it behind the scenes. But um, yeah, I just think it was more of a personality uh, uh, battle there. He was a young guy new to the league too. He he's done a great job in, in the OHL and I probably, he was inexperienced and probably a little bit young when he came into the NHL. And I was still fairly young at the time too, to be a captain. I was, I think it was 24, 25 at the time. So, and, and I, I think it was just more of a personality contact uh, uh, conflict, but um, so yeah, we got into it a bit and, uh, the rest was history. I ended up leaving the next, the next year going to St. Louis and signed there as a restricted free agent, but, uh, it was tough. It was difficult. I'm not going to tell you it wasn't, uh, he and I didn't see eye eye on some things and didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to be, um, I guess it was probably, I didn't want to be the go between, between him and the players. I, I, I rather deal with the players on my own. And if I thought there was an issue and they needed to be addressed, I'd address it on my own. I didn't need to be reporting back to anybody else. And that could have been a learning curve for me too, though, because it could probably have been done, but done in the proper way where the, nobody was getting, uh, nobody felt like they were getting backstabbed or hurt. And I, and, and I blame myself for that too, that, that I was still pretty young and, and had some growing up to do too. So I think it was just a conflict of, of, uh, of, of our uh, personalities and they didn't really mesh that great. Well, we're touching on captaincy there. And Rick, you can, you can ch chip in on this one too, is, uh, um, what most people, for the for the viewers and listeners, you know, what they may want to listen to or hear is that, you know, being a captain is more than just wearing that C, going out there yelling at the referee, and you know, yeah. being in the center of the team picture. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes along with it. Like, name, like maybe both you guys can touch on some of the responsibilities that go with that job that people may not be aware of that may not be the most you know glamorous things to be doing when you're you're trying to discipline a teammate or. You know, or, or anything about a guy not playing well, about a guy not going home on time, and all this kind of stuff. Well, um, um, Ricky, go ahead. Yeah, it. You know what? It, it's kind of uh, it's difficult when you don't have the backing of your coach. For first and foremost, like you know, I mean, it's not. I, I didn't have a problem going to a player and talking to a player if I thought there was an issue of some sort one, exactly. one way or another but you know when your coach you know disagrees with you or or whatever on something then, then it makes it a little bit more difficult to to get the respect around the room and, and believe me the, the players know your teammates know that if you and the coach have a disagreement going on they damn well know what's going on I mean, they hear things yep. and then it's, it's tough yep. to get their respect. And so unfortunately, when I was there, there weren't a whole lot of good coaches we had that could communicate with, with me as a captain uh, and, and be and have my back. And uh, so so for me, it was a little bit more difficult in that respect. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, sometimes you have to make when you're a leader or a captain, you got to make this, sometimes the tough decisions, decisions you don't really want to make. 
And I agree with Ricky. Like, that's what I was getting at is that I had no problem going to talk to a, a player face to face and not, and I don't have to berate him or, or, or do it in front of anybody. I could go to him and have a one-on-one with him and tell him, you know, something that I thought. And I'd had less than what he had to say too. Maybe I wasn't, maybe I was reading it wrong or seeing it wrong, but it's when you, you're, you're, your coach, you don't feel comfortable doing some things that a coach wants you to do. I mean, I think it's more important that you have your teammates backs and, and you, and you stick together as a team, because that's more important because you're the guys that are going out to, to battle every night together and on the ice. And I think that's what was kind of, and I think that was George being like maybe a young, a young coach and inexperienced and, 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 and me still st- being pretty young too. So I just didn't feel comfortable doing certain things. I mean, I, I wanted to deal with things in the, the way I thought was right. And that was talk to the person or a player face, face to face. And, and then it goes back to the old stuff for sure if you're going to be a leader and want to be a captain, you got to be the hardest working guy in practice. You got to do things that you you're going to ask other players. You're going to want to have to do them yourself. And I think that those were the important things And guys taught me that. And, you know, another guy I'll bring up is Gretz. I had the opportunity to play with him and he told me, he goes, I don't care what you do off the ice course. He goes, but come to practice and be the hardest working guy in practice. And that's something that always stuck with me. And he also taught me something else is, you have 25, 24 guys, not all of them will be playing every night. You have trainers and you have coaches and they're all part of it. If you want to win, they all got to be happy and, and pulling in the right, right direction. And he taught me that he goes, you got to make the fourth line guy feel just as important as the first line guy that's getting 20, 25 minutes and, as, and, and the guy's getting three minutes. They all got to feel just as important to the team. And that's something that I, I learned from him. And that's how I try to treat the young guys coming in. I know a lot of guys, when they see young guys coming in, they're a little bit scared because you, you, you know, they think they might, you might lose their job to them or something, but I never looked at it that way. I always looked at it. They're another part of the team and another, another part of the puzzle to win. And we got to make them feel part of it. And if somebody goes down injured, they're going to jump in the lineup. So there's those are the types of things I tried to do as a captain, but I mean, there's just was a conflict and Ricky said it, you got to have the, you need to have the backing of your and the support of your coach and you have to see things. And that's what I meant by personality conflicts. I think you have to see things similarly. And if you don't, you're going to have a problem. And then I was captain in St. Louis for about, two months after they took it off a of holly. And then there was a guy named Bob, Wayne Gretzky came to town. So I, <laughs> I thought it was the right and the honorable thing to do is to give him the C back. He didn't even, and, but in his defense in Wayne's like the guy's such a class guy. He, he said to me, no, you keep nice. Are you kidding me? I'd be embarrassed. We were skating around out here with the C on and you're, you're number 99 beside me with the A on. Forget it. I don't want that pressure. I'll tell you. So yeah, it was an honor to wear the C, but Ricky's right. I mean, you got to have the, the, the support of the room and the support of, of, of uh, the coach most importantly. And if they see weakness and, it can be a problem. Well, you're being very nice with Edmonton because just to give you an idea, I know when you went to St. Louis, they got the rights to Curtis Joseph yeah. going back that way. Now here's, you know, an elite goaltender going back there and they have problems with him. He ends up playing in the minors. They almost moved into Boston. Then they signed him later. He, we had him on a couple of weeks ago and he went through all of this. Yeah. So things were not exactly going smooth in Edmonton to begin with. So there yeah. was... And by the way, we're not throwing stones here because we live through Harold Ballard. So no, I no know, I know. <laughs> there, it, but was it sort of is and and you can be skate around it as nice as you can here. But was it as sort of as dysfunctional in Edmonton at that time as it appeared to be from our standpoint? Uh, uh, we we went through a few coaches. I mean, Teddy Green was our coach there, and I love Teddy Green. Like he was incredible to me, incredible his team. He took a blame for all the losses. It wasn't him playing the game; it was us. We were a young bunch of guys, young team, uh, not that experienced. We weren't winning uh, the way we wanted to win. And I think we needed a lot of, uh, we needed to, to find our maturity and, and grow as players and to have coaches, two or three coaches co- coming in and out. And then Slats was back behind the bench. It, again, going back to that, you just, sometimes you need a little bit of stability and, and feel good mm-hmm. and understand what's going on. And as players and young, as young team, it, I think it affected us a little bit more. And, and Slats was always 
difficult to deal with when it comes down time to contract time. All right. They didn't have the money that, you know, some of the other teams did around the league. So he was always a tough nut on that. And I know when I signed the offer sheet, he called me at the cottage and wasn't too happy with me and told me I treat you like a, like a, a son and blah, blah, blah. And was yeah. taking care of you. And there was all kinds of offers with it, with it when he was offering me to sign a deal there. I said to him, I was honest with him. I just look at, I, I got, this is what I'm going to get from, uh, from a team. And if you match it in Canadian dollars, cause they were offering me in St. Louis was offering me us dollars in Canada at the time we were still making Canadian dollars. And I said, you match it in even Canadian dollars. Cause I'm living in Canada. I'll, I'll be fine with that. And that was a big difference back then. It was 40, 50% back yeah. then at the time, but slots wouldn't budge. And he was a tough negotiator and you know, it, it worked out for him though. Obviously I went to St. Louis and I had loved playing in St. Louis and Keenan was a coach that I had in the Canada cup and to get to play with Holly and Gretz and all those guys and a great group of guys down there was nice. And they got Cujo back. Who's uh, one of my friends now and I have nothing but respect for him. And I think he's one of the greatest goalies of playing one of the greatest people. So, and Mike Greer went there too. So they did really well in the end. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a bit of a, you know, got a lot of guys leaving and coming and going. It was tough and, and coaches too. It makes it a bit of a tough, tough time. And I know Ricky can, you know, talk about that. He went through that, you know, with, you know, the Ballard days and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it's not easy at times for sure. Well, that name comes up a lot in the name you mentioned just before that Keenan seemed to come up a lot in these conversations. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I, yeah I, I had both of them. I had one for almost seven years. It was, was the biggest pain in the ass was Harold. And then of course yeah. I get traded to Chicago. Have a good year, 43 goals. Not not too shabby, although I that's, did get the that's not too that's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and the next year Mike Keenan comes in and I'm not good enough to play. And all I play is power yeah. play. So you know it you know everybody has their own there's there are different opinions every coach you're gonna have is different than the other one. And it's not always going to yep. work. No, exactly. That's the whole, whole point. Stability at the top starts with management. It works its way down. It's no yeah. coincidence. The turn in the Toronto Maple Leafs started right with ownership and filtered down with the hiring of Brennan Shanahan and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's just, it's it, you can just go back to what, where it was and where it is to today. And you can see the differences in any good organization, any good company starts right at the top. So speaking of which, now you've, Moved on again. You go back now to where it all started. <laughs> Montreal. Montreal. So how was all that? And how'd that all come about? Um, yeah, well, after we, I went to St. Louis and played the first year and like it ended with Gretz and me and Holly playing on a line together. We lost in game seven to Detroit. Eisman, that famous goal scorer, scored on Case from outside the, the blue line. It was a, a heck of a shot. I'm not blaming Casey. Casey came in and played unbelievable for us after Fear got hurt in the Leaf, the Leaf uh, series. But I mean, that was heartbreaking to lose game seven, double overtime. And then, you know, went home in the summer and we thought we had a we're building something pretty good in St. Louis and great group of guys. I mean, I can't speak highly enough about the guys I played with in St. Louis. That, that team was one of the closest teams I've ever played on. And to have Gretz come in at the end of the year was incredible. And to get the opportunity to play with him and be around him and become really, really good friends with him. Because I played with him in the Canada Cup on the line in 91 with him and Larms, actually, Vibe. Uh, Larmer yeah. was one of the most underrated players I've ever played with in my life. Yeah, it was me, Steve Larmer, and Gretz in the Canada Cup. And that guy is one of the most underrated players I've ever played with in my life. I'm saying that, I... Exact same thing. Exact yeah, same he, thing. He's I, incredible. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a point yeah. guy, but he was so reliable defensively. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know why they, his name never comes up for the Hall of Fame. Because you look at the numbers, he's a point of game. He played, I think, roughly 13... 100 games, had 12 or 1,300 points, but he was also a very good 
uh, defensive player as well. Yeah, but, he was incredible. I mean, he, he was incredible. That, that wouldn't be as good as you and me and Fergie when we were out in Halifax. So, when the Leafs had camp out there, would it? Well, Gretzky and Lyons were pretty good line mates, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> me and you and me and you and Fergie ripped it up in, in Halifax for a while. I mean. I think we I think we had about eight goals that night. You had six of them, and Fergie had two, so it was good. We had a good night. I had eight, I had eight assists. I'll put an apple on all of those. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was fun playing out there with you guys too. I mean, people don't realize like, I'm not stupid. I know who to get the puck to on that line. We're gonna get it to you. You scored fifty goals with three or four times, so I'm not. And Fergie can shoot the puck too, though. Like oh, Fergie, yeah. Fergie, I didn't know Fergie that well until I came to Toronto, and we've played some alumni together. I mean, that guy is better than I realized he was. Like, he's got he's got a lot of talent. He's big and strong, shoot the puck, and and he can he can see the ice well too. So it was a lot of fun yeah. playing with you guys. But you were you were definitely the shooter, and we're not we weren't dumb about that. We were getting you the puck. But I was just so, going back to Larms. Larms was like he like Ricky said the guy was like I've got to play with him that whole training camp, and then the whole because that year they had a training camp. There were six of us that went. We had to try out, and I got to play with him the whole training camp, the two of them. And Ricky said the guy was just as good defensively he was offensively, and then. He didn't fight, but he didn't have to. He was strong in the puck. Like I, being tough is not fighting. Like anybody can drop the gloves and fight, but it, being tough was being strong in the puck, being mentally tough, and being able to play in the in tough times of the game. Like you could put him out in the ice late in the game for the defensive side or the offensive side. And he was just incredible. And I agree with Ricky one hundred percent. That guy should be in the Hall of Fame. But going back to the trade, um, it was caught, I caught us off completely off guard. Murray Barron was another St. Louis Blues both of us were fan favorites in St. Louis. The team was really tight and close. You know, we had lost Gretz to the, uh, to free agency that summer, which was, you know, kind of sad. And I think they were looking for a centerman. They wanted to get a centerman to replace, uh, uh, replace uh, Gretz. But I never thought it was going to be me or, or Mary Barron because Mary Barron was a huge fan favorite. And uh, we got caught off guard. It was a short time into the season. And you know how Keenan is, eh? Ricky doesn't pull any punches. He walks in the room and says, we got to see you. We knew right then. We came back in the room. I remember coming back in the room was just silent because we were so close and tight. And it was an older team back then. And I, I, I'll never forget it. I was like, it kind of made me feel good in a way because the guys, a bunch of guys started crying. And uh, it was, made you feel good. Uh, you know, the, your teammates loved you that much that they were, you know, they were getting a great player in Terjean back and uh, Fitzgerald. And I think it was Conroy, the other guy coming back and me and Murray Barron were going to Montreal. But that touched me because I got real close to like the guys there, McKinnis and Bergevin and McTavish and, and, and all those guys that were there. And it just, I mean, it was, it, it was a nice feeling. And then for Mac T to say they lost the heart and soul of the team when they made the trade and, you know, he wasn't doing anything disrespectful to Terj because Terj is, He's a Hall of Fame guy and a hell of a player. And, and I actually end up getting to know him. And he's just a super guy, too. There's not too many hockey guys that aren't. But it definitely caught us off guard. And we were pretty upset, the two of us. We were in tears. Mary Barron loved St. Louis. I think it was the only place he had been. I had been traded before. But uh, we were definitely caught off guard. But then it was Montreal. And I'm thinking, oh, I love Montreal. I got a lot of friends and family there. So it's one of my favorite cities. So I'm not, I just don't have to wait for road trips. I can go back and I get to live there again. <laughs> <laughs> and I always loved it there. So it was like, almost like going home again. Yeah. Now what about then after that, you then come back to Toronto. Yeah. You're Gary Roberts yeah. and that guy who got traded for you or the rights to you, Cujo comes in. Yeah. Was it almost feeling like a, a start over, but walk us through that whole experience of coming back to Toronto. Like a lot, you you grew up a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. We yeah. talked all the time about everybody imagines playing in a Maple Leaf uniform. Yep. What was that like for you coming back? And then, I mean, was it a greater 
great was it the, was it more overwhelming as you expected or less like oh it was whole- it, it was definitely very emotional for me i mean i had spent 10 years in montreal and i, I gotta tell you they they, they stayed with me. They, st- they stood behind me. They loved me in Montreal. Um, they, they, they supported me through ups and downs in Montreal. And the city itself was amazing. I mean, they were, but the organization was good to me and stood behind me too. So, I mean, I knew I was becoming a, an unrestricted free agent for the first time in my career. I was a huge Leafs fan. I always dreamed about playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, a lot of my, my idols are Maple Leaf fans, like or Maple Leaf, ex-Maple Leaf players. I mean, I love Bobby Clark and, and, and Brian Trotche too because they played the type of game I love. But... You know, I mean, I love the Leafs, uh, you know, Lanny and Daryl and, 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 and Rick Vibe and Turnbull and, and Palmateer. I was Palmateer when I played road hockey and goal and, yeah. and Boreas saw me and, and I could, Earl Thompson, I could go through the whole team. Like I love, and we love, we love the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I mean, for, to have the opportunity to come back to Toronto and be able to close to my mom, because my dad passed away years ago at 45 and be close to my mom, my two sisters and, and my family and come back here and play for Leafs. Um, I was pretty excited about that. And I mean, I had other offers on the table, you know, Bobby Clark was always a big fan of mine, wanted to draft me in the 84 draft, but he, uh, a trade with the, the Maple Leafs fell through actually the fifth pick. He thought he had it and it fell through, or I could have been uh, a Philadelphia flyer a long time ago, but he, he was trying to sign me in Bruins and a couple of teams, but I mean, I wanted to come back to Toronto and I seen the team they were building here in Toronto. And you mentioned a couple of guys that they brought in like yeah. Gary Roberts and, and Cujo and, they already had uh, some great players here. So I, I thought it was a great fit for me. It was still a difficult decision to leave Montreal after 10 years being there. And it's almost like my second home, but it was an easy decision in the end because my fan was here as a Leaf fan and to be able to play for that team, put that jersey on. And, and, and not only that, they had a great team. They had an opportunity to win every year. So that's something that I wanted. I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, I never got there. I got there a lot of, a lot of, a lot of I got there close uh, a few times and then got to the conference finals a bunch of times, but, I wanted to win a cup and to do it in Toronto would have been amazing. And so it was emotional. Uh, you know, Daryl was one of my favorite players growing up, obviously too, to put his Jersey on uh, was pretty cool. Uh, but just to put that leaf Jersey on, cause I, I love the whole leaf leaf team and all the players that ever played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it was, it was pretty cool and pretty, it was an honor. And, but it was, there was pressure. I wanted to do well and wanted to play well. And I was already actually having really severe panic attacks and anxiety attacks and, uh, before I got to Toronto and t- trying to deal with that on, on that, on the, that side too. And then, you know, have so many family and friends around, it was a little bit tougher, but it was all well worth it. I mean, I'm so well, lucky and blessed to play for them because we get to do so many amazing, great things. The alumni as Rick mentioned and be able to hang out with the guys and, you know, mm-hmm. with the new ownership and all that, they treat us alumni guys amazingly. And uh, we get to do a lot of fun things because of it. Well, speaking of family, your, your sister for viewers or listeners who aren't aware, your, your sister's married to, one of your close guys, uh, Darcy. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was by good. The way, that he, by the way, he was in Halifax too. Yeah, but well, I'm sure yeah, he was. But, yeah, but we were the top line, Ricky. Don't worry, buddy. We were the top line. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, nighttime, he was probably your winger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was one of them. He was one of them. I, one carried, of them. I carried him home. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Now, did that weigh on your decision to come and play in Toronto with him in Toronto? It definitely, family being here definitely weighed on me coming to Toronto. I mean, I have a lot of family in Montreal too. You know, my wife's from Montreal. So I have a lot of family and friends in Montreal too. Some of my best friends are there. But uh, yeah, definitely for sure was part of it. It was nice. My sister would be living in Toronto. My other sister was in Barrie. My mom was in Barrie at the time. So I was close to family. So family and friends definitely played a part of it. And him being here, it was just an added bonus. But I just like the team they were putting together and, I always wanted to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was one, I almost ended up here again after 
when Pat Burns was here coaching, because I was really close with Pat and he tried to make a trade for me back then, but it, it, it uh, didn't, it didn't go through, but it was just, in the end, it was the place I wanted to be in and, uh, um, and family definitely was part of that decision for sure. Fantastic. And uh, so what was it, in your estimate, what was it that kept Toronto from getting to that next level? You guys seem to have all the pieces, but what held you guys back, do you think? Honestly, I think the one year was the, the injuries we had. I mean, when we lost out, we lost, uh, we, we had a ton of injuries. I think it was Carolina. We, we had a tough couple series and a lot of guys were beat up. I, I think um, Matt's missed Sundin some games. Yeah. Matt's missed some, yeah, Sundin missed some games. Rob's missed some games. I think Stumpy Thomas missed some games. Tuck's missed some games. Uh, I can't think of all of them. But Al McCauley, I, I tell you what, Al McCauley came in and played unbelievable in that playoff for us because there were so many injuries. He actually ended up being our number one centerman and he did a, he did a hell of a job and played really, really, really well for us. So, you know, we had a deep team. We still almost won that series, but I honestly believe it was it, that year was the injuries. If we would have had everybody at Matt's and, and, and Rob's and, and, and talks and, and uh, all those guys, I'm probably missing some guys because there was a lot of injury. And the guys that, you know, Ricky knows he played through with a neck injury and back injury his whole, whole career, pretty much guys play injured, but, Sometimes they're just, it's, it's impossible to play with the injury that you have. And if you do come back, you're playing at, you know, 50, 60, 70%. I know I had crack in my foot during that, that series, uh, but everybody plays injured during the playoffs, but there were some guys who were so badly injured. They couldn't get to the, you know, to even 80%. So I, I believe it was injuries, but every team has injuries. I mean, we, we got close, but we never did it. And bottom line is we just weren't good enough to win, win the cup. You got to just face it at that time. Well, at what that was your time, relationship with at that time? I Go ahead, Rick. At that time, I remember I was doing Leafs TV, so I was doing the pre and the post game right. show and covering the team yep. in, the, in the playoffs. It was it, it was actually a really exciting time um, for those two or three yeah, it years. was Ricky. Yeah, two or three years. It was the teams were good every year, making the playoffs, getting to the you know the semifinals or you know not quite the finals, yep. but um, but good teams. And, and you're right, there was. You know, there was something that played into it each of those years, like injuries or whatever the case might be. You guys had a, a team that could have went all the way. It was just something stood in the way and uh, one thing yep. or another. And most of the time it was injuries, the key individual. Exactly, Ricky. I think that you're right. Like the, uh, every year we had an opportunity if things would have fell into place just right for us to win. But I think the one year when we had all those injuries when we lost to Carolina, I think that was our best team that they had put together uh, deepest team for sure that we had. And if we could have stayed healthy and, and, and meaning healthy with the key players, like we lost key players that but were big parts of our team. And if we were going to win, uh, Matt's being one of them and Rob's was playing great at that time for us too. And, you know, Toxie was doing his thing and, and I, I'm sure there was other injuries on the, on the back end too, that were hurting us. So, um, but yeah, you, 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 you just didn't get there. And in the end, we weren't good enough. I mean, we were, we weren't good enough to win yet. And uh, there's always, there's always, and one of those years was the health scare of uh, Pat Quinn too, when he was uh, sick and he ended up behind the bench. Remember he had the heart problems and um, what was your relationship with him? Uh, Pat was amazing. I mean, Pat, Pat Quinn is, I have nothing but respect for him and he's just a, he's a good person. He's a player's uh, uh, coach. Um, and he, he can't ask for more. He was just an honest, honest person and uh, have a lot of respect for him. And he, he was good to me and, um, I actually wish that I would have went to him uh, about my anxiety and panic attacks because I, I know that he's the type of person would have helped me and, and would have been somebody that would listen to me and try to do whatever he could to get me get me on track and feeling better. And that's something I regret that I wish I would have went to him a little bit earlier. But even then, back then at that time, I was still a little scared to lose my job. I wanted to continue to play, and and I was I was 
you know, scared to, to, to come out and admit weakness. And then now I know that it's not a weakness, it's an illness and, and it's a strength to come out with it and admit that you, you're having a tough time and you need help. And uh, that's the way I look at it now. It's, it makes you a stronger person to do that. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be sitting here and I'll keep saying it. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I had a lot of crazy stuff go through my mind, but I wish I would have turned to Pat and, and been more open with Pat because I know that he would have been the type of guy that would have been there to help me. Just a, just a good, um, straight, forward, honest person. Yeah, Pat, um, you know what? I had a, a great memory with Pat. Uh, Bob Lavelle was had, uh, I, I can't even remember what, exactly what it was, but he had some kind of a thing going on at the Americana Hotel down in Niagara Falls, where I uh, mm-hmm. uh, live now. And Pat was there. And we sat at a table till four o'clock in the morning, just talking about hockey and just other stuff. I mean, it wasn't always hockey. Pat would bring something up and we'd get into, I mean, I don't know how many different topics we covered. But yeah. I mean, it was, he was a very intelligent man too. I mean, uh, you know, sitting with oh, him yes. until four in the morning uh, taught me a hell of a lot about a lot of different things. Yeah, you're right, Ricky. He, he, he I remember having a few conversations with him in his office and he, 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 he was, he loved the game of hockey. He, he loved the game of hockey and he, he loved hockey players. And he was, he was, like I said, that's why I wish I would have opened up to him more. I'm sure that he could have helped me in a lot of, a lot of different ways. Um, and uh, that's something I do regret. I wish I would have opened up to him and, and told him more about what was going on in my head. Uh, but yeah, he, he loved to talk and he, and he was a very, very, very smart uh, person. And he could talk about anything. You could put any top topic on the table and he'd, he'd talk about it, whether it was politics or, um hockey or whatever it was he he and he had his opinion too pat was oh, a strong yeah. man he had his he he's he strong opinion and uh and stubborn and i think that's the irish probably irish in him right right but uh yeah uh, i have the utmost respect for pat pat quinn well i do too and he's not a guy i'd want to piss off either because he was a oh big god man. no <laughs> oh no not at all i seen him mad a few times trust me and i wasn't i was i was a little scared but he, he, but he was a fair man. I mean, you knew where you stood with yeah. him and he was fair. He was fair. And that's all you want to ask from your coaches. And you know that we all just want somebody to be fair with us and we can take criticism as long as it's, it's, it's uh, fair criticism and uh, you're, you're fair about it. And you tell us what you want, just tell us what you want mm-hmm. from us and we'll go out and do it to play. Well, the, the funny part about uh, Pat Quinn, Brian Burke told a story to us one time that um, after he hit or in that famous pit in Boston garden and the Leafs got smoked, <laughs> everybody wondered what happened after and apparently he went out for a few beers after the few buddies so as the story goes he went to the fours which was across the street or whatever it was called at the time i think it was called the fours and he went in the bar and so but the fans were all sort of congratulating him on the hit and he like and whoever was with him at the time said you look like you're pissed off and he goes well i thought i was going to get in some fights here i was ready to go <laughs> oh pat, pat was ready to go on a drop of a hat trust me be, being coached by him you could see him. He was ticked off with some of the players on the other team a few times, and he wouldn't back down at all, man. He was – and that look, like Ricky said, he's a big, big man, big paws, and if, if he got that look in his eye, you knew don't say anything, be quiet, and <laughs> let it pass. But, yeah, he was, he was, he was nails, and that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, now, on a later – we got to thank – again, we want to thank you so much for doing this. We've got a couple minutes left with you, Shane. Pranks always come up as part of hockey, and – we always got asked the question, who's one of the biggest pranksters you ever play with? Oh, Mark Bergevin. Oh, Mark Bergevin, the G, the, 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 Bergie, the, G, the GM in Montreal. He is 
one of the biggest pranksters I've ever played with in my entire, never Which mind one hockey. Of, one of his best. Oh God. Can he I used talk to, about he, they talk about him dressing up in, in, in costumes and everything. Okay, that's what like, I was going to tell you. Okay. We're in, <laughs> we're over in the world championships in, <laughs> in Europe, uh, playing the world championships. And, uh, was we had two different dress rooms. We had one where we took our clothes off and then there was just a curtain put up at the doorway to where we'd go in to put our hockey gear on. We're all sitting on, in there and the, the, the music box for some reason was in where we dressed, put our clothes on, not in the dress room where we were putting our hockey gear on because there was two or two smaller rooms. I think actually a couple of guys even had to dress in the, uh, the smaller room where we took our clothes off. <laughs> all of a sudden we hear this music come on and Mark Bergie's, you know, uh, French Canadian. And uh, all of a sudden we hear this loud music come on and all out comes Bergie from behind the curtain and all he has his inner jock on a uh, pair some socks and his garter belt and dancing around the room. And there he goes. <laughs> Welcome to the stage. Rock's head. And he's just, he's just not only prankster, probably one of the best team guys I've ever played with. And one of the best guys in the room, he just kept, he knew how to keep guys loose, but then he knew when to turn it off too. You know, sometimes if you have a jokester and he's just doing pranks and joking around constantly, it can start to get on your nerves or, or annoy you a bit, but he just knew when to push buttons. He knew when to, have fun and joke around and maybe play a prank because um, that's just uh, that that was needed at the time, but then he knew when to turn it off and not be that guy and just be more yeah. serious. And I think that's why he's been uh, such a great teammate and such a leader anywhere he's played. And now he, I think he's doing a super, he's done a super job there in Montreal. They've seemed to turn the corner there. So yeah, there's so many things that he he's pulled off, but it's just different. You know, he just, he loved to dress up in costume and, and, He'd have his, his glasses on sideways. Like, you, it's just uh, the stuff he used to do was just the funniest stuff I've ever seen. And I mean, he just made it, it it's so much fun to come to the rink every day. And you'll, anybody you talk to, to play with Mark Bergen will tell you the same thing. Yeah, I played with Ricky? him. I played with him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, now, and, and the, well, we were the stepping... funny part, the funny part in Buffalo, I believe it was, or, or Chicago, I can't remember now. Chicago. Chicago. It, it was probably Chicago. I played with him in Chicago. Yeah, and I mean, the guy was, he was a good player too, but you know what, you're right. He was just doing it at the, at the right time when it was needed uh, to loosen the, the guys up or whatever. And, yeah. uh, but back then, I mean, you're thinking to yourself like, like, I mean, when you look back now and he's the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I would have said, not a chance. There's no way he would ever be a general manager in a national he was, hockey league. Ricky, he was Ricky. He was my roommate in St. Louis when we were on the road. So yeah, when it, when it got <laughs> named when he got named uh, general manager of Montreal, I, went, <laughs> I started laughing. He sent me a text message. He sent me a text message, and he sends me pretty funny text messages. Anyways, when we're alone one time, all of us, I'll tell you a couple stories. But um, he uh, yeah, he he. He was like fifth, sixth defenseman, but he just made up for it on his leadership and, his, and the way to keep the guys happy and keep them playing at the best level they possibly could. And, and he, you're right. He, he was just, uh, but I, I mean, I realized that he kind of worked his way through different organizations to learn that, that, that side of it. So I kind of, it didn't, once I looked into what he had done after his career, I realized that, you know, it wasn't as big a surprise as I would have thought when I first noticed Mark Bergman's the GM of the Montreal Canadiens and the Montreal Canadiens. But, uh, he's doing a good job and I'm happy for him. He's such a, he's still a good friend of mine. I still talk to him and uh, he's the funniest player I've ever played with period. Well, we always like to hear guys do well. We just don't want him to do too well at that hockey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, can win all, he can win all the other games, uh, but lose to Toronto. Yeah. We'd be quite happy with that chain. That, that would cut. Now just a couple more questions here before we go. The most intense player you ever played with. 
Oh, I, there, there's so many of them. Like hockey players are very intense to begin with, but um, somebody the fans may somebody the fans may not think of. He, well, he would Mark Mark, 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 Mark Messi is the obvious one, but I mean because I played with him in the Canada Cup, but I didn't play with him a long period. But I'll tell you, Chris Chalios, Chris Chalios was one tense and tense hockey player, right? But he 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 was intense, but he was calm. He was relaxed and laid back back there. Claude Lemieux was very intense on and off the ice. He would drive us nuts <laughs> yeah. in the dressing room. Never mind anybody on the ice. So. Pep, Claude Lemieux would be one of the most intense guys I played with uh, for sure on and off the ice. Chelly was intense in a different way. Chelly, you'd look back and think he was sitting in a rocking chair playing the game. He seemed so calm when he played the game, made the right play and the easy play, but he was intense. Like, he loved to win and compete. And Claude Lemieux was one. And I got to give a shout out to my brother-in-law. He's pretty intense. He'd be mad at me if I didn't say Darcy Tucker was an intense guy. Right. I got to give him a little shout out, but I mean, Chelly, the Ottawa senators. Chelly, yeah, exactly. Chelly and Chelly and, uh, and, uh, and Claude Lemieux are two of them that I that I play with were very intense hockey players for Shelley sure. Kelly was a dirty bugger too. Boy, yes. Oh my God. I learned it from him, Ricky. He uh, taught me how to slash guys in the back of the knee, back of the knee, and cross check you in the back and all that stuff. He had me doing all that kind of stuff. He had me wound up all the time. Well, I played when I was in Buffalo. We played Montreal in a six-game series, yeah. or maybe, maybe seven. I had to stand yeah. in front of the net between him and, and Ludwig on the other side. Ludwig. Uh, yeah, and it was just taking turns, cross-checking me, whacking me. And meanwhile, Patrick was whacking me in the back of the leg at the same time. Like, it was pretty crazy oh, yeah. uh, when, when you played against those two guys. Ricky, you're right. I'll never forget those two playing together because what it was is – Ludzi would give you a, a cross check across the They had a plan. You wouldn't believe like, I, like the old days, they, they had this stuff planned. Like we would sit in the dressing room going through who we had to do what to and who were fighters or what hand they were. You know how it worked with all these guys, right? So oh, yeah. Ludzi would say, okay, I'm going to cross check them. So Ludzi would cross check you, put you off your balance. So you'd be kind of falling forward or something, right? And then all of a sudden you get a chop on the back of the knee from Chelly on the back of the knee with a stick. And then, and then Patrick would be there trying to trip you. They, they had a plan. They knew what they were doing. They were dirty, both of them, like really oh, yeah. dirty. But they, the two of them, I'll tell you right now, the two of them like were great teammates. And Chelly was one of my best teammates and one of my best buddies uh, during our playing days. And we're still good friends. We still talk. But I got to give Chelly credit. Whenever I was involved in a skirmish or something, he he wasn't he would be right there for me. He wasn't necessarily would fight, but he would be right there to grab a guy's arm and just try to make sure. Because you know, in the old days, everybody kind of would pile in there, mm -hmm. and then the tough teams would have four or five guys in on the other. So he was a great teammate. I mean, I know he was dirty, and we all were kind of taught they that's how we were taught by these guys and yeah looking back we were really bad sometimes i just think like wow why was i chopping co paul coffee all the way up the ice on the ankle <laughs> well chelly had to look after you shane yeah chelly had to look after you because he had to go out with somebody after the games were over there you are made... buddy they, we were like that's what he loved me he grabbed me right away he goes hey, you're with me kid and i wasn't arguing with him okay so final question here for you I, I, we had going through this, everybody coming in, this version of the Maple Leafs, what do you think? I mean, I think they got a lot of uh, skill. I mean, the game's changed over the years from when Ricky came into when I even got there. And then when I was leaving the game, the game had changed a lot. Um, I mean, they got such good skill and speed and, and stuff like that. But I mean, uh, I think Ricky and I being former players and being through it and be through the grind, I think there's one thing they got to learn. They got to learn how to win uh, when it's important. And uh I think to do that, you got to have good goaltending. You got to be able to play in your own zone. And obviously, you have to put the puck in that. Don't get me wrong. You want to win hockey games, you got to score goals. So mm -hmm. I believe they can do that. I think they have that, that type of team where they can put the, the offensive side of it up. And they've shown that, you know, with the type of players they have. They just have to put it together. And um, 
I mean, uh, time will tell here. Uh, we got to pick up a couple of defensemen, I think, that are, you know, playing well. Like one kid that's been there and is playing better this year. Uh, and then they picked up the kid from Calgary there. I think he's, you know, starting to come around, maybe a little bit you know, uh, nervous at the start. But uh, I just find they have to find a way to win in the playoffs. And Ricky and Ricky knows it. Uh, the game, I don't care what anybody tells you, the game changes from regular season to playoff time. And it's a bit more of a grind. And you got to be able to fight through them, battle through that and, and score goals in the tough areas too, and, and, and do the job in the, in the defensive zone. And I think that's where they got to, you know, tighten up a little bit is maybe in the defensive zone a bit, cause they can score goals, but they have to learn to score the tough goals. And the guys that scored consistently over the years, 40, 50 goals, they'll tell you themselves. It wasn't uh, all pretty goals. They went to the dirty zones and dirty areas and paid the price to score those goals too, by standing in front of that, like Ricky said, or, or going in and banging home a rebound. So I think they, they can score the pretty ones. They got to learn how to score the dirty ones and uh, got to learn how to fight through, uh, you know, a bit tougher checking hockey games. That's my opinion. Final thought, Rick. Well, I, I think I agree. I think uh, regular season, no doubt in my mind, they're probably one, if they're not the best, uh, they're one of the best teams in the league. They got so much talent. I think this year they have more depth up front than they ever had, even mm-hmm. on defense as well. And uh, yeah, but I think you're right, Shane. I mean, you know, it comes down to playoffs. As everybody knows you can do whatever the heck you want in the regular season, but playoffs, it, it the game is completely different. And it's uh, what four, four, five, four years in a row that they've got, haven't gotten by the first round. And, yep. you know, that's, you know, that, that's the, the next step. It's not something that happens overnight. It's like, okay, get by the first round. Maybe then you get, you win the second round. Now you're, now you're in the semifinals. And then, you know, the next year you, you do a little bit more or you get to the semifinals again. And then uh, once you get to the finals, man, you got to take advantage of it because it's not, every day that you get to the Stanley cup finals. And, uh, but again, it, it, it's, it's a process, you know, and I, I know people are sick and tired of, he- of hearing that, but it, it really is. And this team has been through a lot in the last four years. It's time now that they need to learn how to win. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I agree with you, Ricky. I think it's, it's a learning process for sure. Uh, and it's just hopefully, you know, like, like you said, they've been through a lot of the last four years. And like you said, I think it's time for them to take that, make, take that next step because hopefully they've learned from different things that, that have happened to them over the last four years. So hopefully they, they do take, take that next step. And, and you're right. I mean, I look back at, I've been to the semifinals, the conference finals a few times. I've been to the finals once hurt. And then the other time I played in it. And when you're early on your career, you think it's going to happen all the time. And then you realize I got there once over like, 18 or 17 or 18 years or 19 years, whatever it was. And you're so right. You got to, when you get there, boy, you got to do whatever you can to make it happen and make it, make it work and win it because it's not an easy thing to get to, but I agree. I, I like their team. I think they're deeper for sure up front uh, and, and on the defense. I think they're a little bit, um, you know, everybody says bigger and stronger. I mean, I just think they they have the type of players that can play that style a bit, a bit better in the playoffs. And, and what I mean by the guys that yeah, scored 40, pretty. 50 goals consistently, yeah, a little grittier. But the guys that scored the 40 goals, 50 goals consistently, they they know how to get the dirty goals. And and that's what you get in the playoffs a lot of times. And those guys are going to score goals in the playoffs too. But you, you get these guys that score like 30 to 30 to 35. still a great regular season, but they got to find a way to do get the dirty goals in the playoffs. And that's the difference between a 30 and a 50 goal score, right? And then if you get a 20 goal score and you get a guy that does that, 
year in year out, but still plays really well on the defensive side. Those are the types of players you love. So you got to get those guys that are doing the 30, 25 to 30 to buy into every part of the game and then find those dirty goals. And I think they, they can do it. They just got to find a way to win. As you said, it's a process. Well, the process seems to be taking hold right now. There's six and two and a couple yep. coming up with Edmonton as we record this today. So we'll see how it all goes. And of course, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Great listening to you. Uh, some great stories. Uh, it's always a treat. We'll run into you again, I'm sure. Over the, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> when things are safe again, I'm sure. Exactly. Uh, and we just want to thank you again so much for joining us today. I really appreciate coming on with you guys. And anytime you want me on, I'd be more than happy to come on with you guys. I love talking about life and hockey. And, and then at the same time, if we can help somebody, uh, you know, get yes. through a tough time. That's the most important thing. So I really appreciate you, you guys giving me this uh, platform to do that. And to everybody that's out there fighting COVID, uh, thank you so much for all of the things you're doing out there. It's incredible to put your lives on the, the line to, to help us and keep us safe. Well, another great guest we had today with his squid, uh, Shane Corson. He's one of those guys, you know, you see him in a, you see him in a bar right there. He's the, he's the one guy you want to hang around with because he's got a million stories, loves telling the stories in a life of the party guy. But when we listen to him in a forum like this, he's very, he can be very serious. He's very articulate. He has a very good opinion and he's very serious about uh, what he's dealing with uh, for most of his life with anxiety. And he's willing to reach out and help people. And how can he not like a guy like that? Oh, absolutely. Shane's a great guy. And, uh, Loves to have fun. And I, I remember one time we did go to Florida and with corporate partners, uh, him and Al were with the Molson guys and I was with a different group. And uh, we, we all met up at the same bar after the game. And I sat there at that bar until about four o'clock in the morning with Shane and Al <laughs> after everybody else had left. And I mean, I don't even have a drop of alcohol in me, but I was so entertained by those two guys. It was incredible. It was so much fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, as I said, I ran into him a few times on my excursion, you know, and I remember watching him in Nashville, and he's waving at me from where I, on, the, on the roof of Tootsie's, uh, which is the famous bar right across in Bridge, Bridge, uh, Bridge, yeah, Bridgestone uh, Arena. And he had the audience around him. They, they were, it was just like unbelievable. Like the second coming and they were just hanging on every word and he's laughing and screaming and it was the best. So, and as we told folks, you get a chance to have a pint with uh, Mr. Corson. Enjoy Cause he's a great, great guy. And we're going to try and get, we're going to get Darcy on in the next little while also. So we'll, speak with him and uh, we'll, we'll trade some stories. Of some things. <laughs> we'll get his version of some of the stories also from that. And speaking of which, Next week, we're excited to bring, we'll let you go. We're going to have Phil Esposito joining us. And uh, so that should be rather entertaining as we go back through Phil's career playing with Chicago and obviously one of the biggest, probably misguided trades or probably uh, one-sided trades with him going to Boston in the era and then turning into the player that he did. And his 72 series and the Summit series, we're going to go through that and what he did after and what he's doing right up in today. So uh, we're looking forward to having Phil on. Uh, as usual, my winger and I, Ricky, another good day. You can pick us up on Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan on our page we have now, Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan. We're on Twitter under Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan, or the Ultimate Leaf Fan, Rick5 on Instagram or on Twitter. Watch for us. Uh, continue. We didn't get a chance to ask a question today, but if you want to DM us or send one of us a question, 
we'll ask it. We got Phil on next week. So if you want to throw a couple of questions at Phil, we'll see if we can get one or two on the air next week with Phil. And uh, other than that, anything closing off here, Rick? Well, we can, uh, we're looking forward to getting Phil on. That was great today to have Shane on. Um, yep. Also, the one thing too that, you know, uh, I guess the older generation would know, but Phil was, you know, one of the main factors in bringing the Tampa Bay Lightning into the National Hockey League as well. So yep. that's another thing that we can talk with them about. And uh, I mean, the guy was a natural goal scorer and uh, played for the Big Bad Bruins, won in what, two cups, I believe, with the Bruins, I think. Yeah. Uh, with Bobby Orr. And, so it should be good. It's going to be fun. So, guys, listen again, look for Squid and the Ultimate League fan and all your social artworks. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to speaking again next week.